Welcome into the Leadership Legacy Podcast, where we interview influential leaders, learn the why, and how they turn their passions into progress that set them on the path to leaving their legacy. to the Leadership Legacy Podcast. This is episode number six. I'm sitting across the table from Caleb Fisher of Acre and soon-to-be Bow and Arrow uh, here in Auburn, Alabama. We've had some incredible breakfast. Uh, Caleb's been an incredible friend and brother in Christ that I've had the honor of knowing over the last year. kind of feels like a lifetime, though. Um, just from going through small groups that we, we met at a small group at, at our church, and, uh, and went through a, a pretty amazing life-changing experience in the freedom, uh, the freedom curriculum. For those of you who don't know Caleb, he's currently the chef de cuisine at Acre. It's Acre's an upscale southern restaurant in Auburn, Alabama, located just two blocks from the historic Tumors Corner. Acre features fresh local ingredients sourced from their own gardens and local farms and offers their guests true southern hospitality. Caleb, along with Chef and owner of Acre, David Bancroft, recently competed on season one Iron Chef Showdown, and they won. And Caleb also made it to the finale of season four Spring Bacon Championships, also on the Food Network. Caleb, man, you're crazy busy, so thanks for taking the time to sit down with me. I'm glad to be here. I don't know about a leadership legacy, but hopefully I can I can come up with a few nuggets of wisdom. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well. Like I said, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the, the the TV shows a little bit later on, but I wanted to really get to get to get to know the man behind the mustache. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. Where did you grow up? Where did you find the love of cooking? So uh, I'm from Smith Station, Alabama, about 30 minutes down the road from Auburn, and honestly, the uh, the career of being a chef was never something that crossed my mind. I, I always wanted to be a large animal vet. Um, my family has a lot of ties to agriculture and <clears throat> I wish I had some great story about, you know, growing up with my, my, my grandma's cooking or falling in love at a, at a young age. But honestly, the, the truth is I, uh, I did what a lot of, of um, young high school kids do and they, they, they chase their first high school love and I, I chased her right to art school um, and that's honestly how I fell into cooking it was just because I was chasing after something that actually ended up uh, giving me a much more rewarding um, career in the end awesome so we're sitting here on the patio acre looking out at the at the, the organic garden that you have grown here so such a beautiful place it's such a really it's a cool place how did you get this job? So I've been in Auburn for uh, all of my career. Well, most of my career. I was in Columbus for about a year stint. Um, but I've been in Auburn for a total of about eight and a half years cooking. And through that, I've met David Bancroft, the owner and executive chef of, of, of Acre. Um, I met him through events and some other public settings. And he invited me to be a guest chef at his Alabama Oyster Social. And it was at the Oyster Social that we we started a discussion about 
things that I wanted and things that I desired in the career and the ability to be my myself, uh, the ability to, to really represent myself as the person I want to be and show a lot of my personality. And that was something that was, was offered here at Acre. Uh, so the conversation got started there. Uh, it took a little while to get around to it, um, but eventually we, we picked it back up and, and um, about six months later, I started working at, at Acre as the chef de cuisine. Awesome. So what does the title chef de cuisine mean? So basically, uh, if you want to break it down into the most layman's terms, is you're the chef of the food or the chef of the kitchen. Uh, so the executive chef is the chef of the whole establishment. And in this type of setting, and it really depends on the type of restaurant you're in, uh, restaurants have different, um, different hierarchies of management. Uh, but the way it's set up here is uh, as David goes out and, and does things in the community and does things throughout the region, um, events-wise, I would take over and run the kitchen and I would be in charge of running the, the menu and developing the menu and developing the staff. Um, it was one of those things that we were running and gunning side by side and we bounced a lot of ideas off of each other and it just allowed me to ease his mind as he stepped out of the restaurant knowing that he had somebody right behind him to take over. So now with Bow uh, and Arrow maybe, maybe two miles, three miles down the street, um, Texas style barbecue to, to the south, um, gonna be, you're going to be the executive chef over there. Um, how did how long has has that been in the works, and how long how long ago did maybe David say, "Hey, look, you know, kind of, I kind of see where you're going here at Acre, and I really want you to step up and, and step up to that next that next leadership role uh, for the new restaurant." Uh, I think if we if we really internally analyze how long both of us have been wanting this style of restaurant, it goes back way, be, way before we've ever met each other. It's something that we both grew up with a lot of ties in, in Texas. He grew up in Texas. I grew up with family in Texas. Uh, so it's always been a, a style of food and a style of, of, of life that we've been accustomed to. Um, I think it's something that uh, a, lot of, a lot of chefs kind of joke about the idea of having a, a burger shop or a barbecue joint or something that's really casual and takes you back to those, those childhood memories um, growing up with family. And so I think the, the project itself has been a seed started a long time ago. Uh, but in the past couple of years, David's really been working to get it uh, or working to have it come to fruition. And this summer, uh, amidst me looking for what my next step was, I'd been at, at Acre for about two and a half years. It was time for, for a little bit of growth. It was time for, for the next step in my career. Um, and I was looking elsewhere and, and we were looking to, to place me in a restaurant together. I mean, we, it wasn't something that I was looking to just leave the company, but it was something that David was helping me seek out the best opportunity for me, whether that be with another company or not. Um, and amidst all of that, uh, David just kind of looked at me one day. He's like, why don't you just stay here? You know, I've got this project coming. Uh, he's like, it's something that you would love, something that we could both do together. It's something that we could um, both channel our efforts and, and mesh really well with. And so honestly, it's been uh, just under a year now. It was, that was summer 2017 that, that that conversation really hit. And we finally took both of our ideas and, and really put it together and put it on papers. That's awesome. So you're going to be in charge of creating a menu. And is it going to be, is it going to be a seasonal menu, kind of like Acre is here, or kind of ever-changing? Or is it, are there going to be some staples that people always get there? <clears throat> 
Well, it's definitely going to be a more steady menu. It's going to be, because of the style of service it is, it's going to be fast casual uh, instead of rather than the full service that Acre offers. So it's going to have a more standardized menu, but obviously things such as uh, greens and beans and corn, the, the things that, that are obviously a seasonal item will definitely be ever-changing. Uh, that's not going to be an ever-changing every single day item. Um, it's going to be a little bit less focused on the, the what can we do today, what's the special today, and more focused on the, the comfort of knowing that if, you, if you're seeking out that potato salad you had last week, it's going to be there today. Or yeah. if you're wanting that, that nice, rich, cream-style corn that, that reminds you of potlucks growing up, it's going to be there. And it, we want that, that familiarity to be there and not to have to kind of wonder, oh, am I going to want the sides today? Am I going to, like, or is it going to be something that, that, I'm, that I'm really craving right now? Um, so it's a little different approach, but the seasonality will still be there to some element. That's awesome. So you're kind of running the kitchen here. You're going to be running a lot more over there. What do you look for in an employee when you're when somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, I want to work with you"? Whether it's a chef, it's waste staff, it's a dishwasher, um, it's just somebody that's going to be prepping the food. Um, what do you look for in someone that that you want to work with? Uh, honestly, passion and drive. Um, it's one of those you can't teach passion and drive it, and that doesn't mean you necessarily have to be passionate about cooking. You don't have to want to be a chef for the rest of your life to be passionate about the job you're doing now. Um, the ability to, to find passion in the job you're doing and to seek out um, the, the, the reward and success of doing a good day's work mm -hmm. is something that is that creates a, a very uh, reliable employee, uh, an employee that you're able to teach regardless of their skill set. You're able to teach them uh, and, and raise them up in the company. And I think so many times people get stuck on saying, well, this isn't what I want to do for a living. But you don't have to do that. You, you, just because it's not what you want to do for a living doesn't mean you don't have to do it well. Uh, and to have that passion is, is something I seek out in a lot of my employees. I think it's really important uh, to have people that love what they do because it's going to be a lot easier to, it's going to be so much easier to be with, uh, to rely on them and know that they're going to show up for work and they're going to do their best job all the time. Um, you talked about drive there. Um, what, what drives you? Uh, Honestly, coming from, uh, I, I came from, uh, I guess, semi-large family but <clears throat> in today's standards. I have uh, two sisters and a brother, um, and both of my parents I mean, worked around the clock. My dad was, was constantly having to travel overseas for his job. My mom was balancing, uh, at one point in our, in our youth, was balancing getting a, another degree while working two jobs and raising uh, all of us kids, um, I mean, it was it, it was very inspiring to see how just how hard my parents worked um, to make sure that we were provided for. Um, and sometimes, you know, and sometimes in the in the grand scheme of things, that meant putting us kids responsible for one another. But but knowing that they taught us and gave us the, the skills and, and the and the ability to be dependent on one another has just been something that's always stuck with me through my life. Um, and so just seeing the, the, the effort and, and the care that my parents put into raising us is something that it's almost 
it would almost be a letdown if I didn't put the same care into everything I did every day. Yeah, it's almost like a thank you to your parents. Yeah, exactly. Um, for for doing their best and raising you, raising you as best they could, just to return that favor and continue that legacy on. Um, what principles have helped you in your personal life and and kind of in your business life too? I mean, a lot of times our personal lives and our business lives have to kind of intertwine and move. I love to be, you know, the same person. Whether you see me at church, you see me at the coffee shop, or you see me dealing with my kids, it doesn't always work. Um, but what kind of principles have helped you uh, personally and, 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 and in your career? Um, <clears throat> I think that same like those, uh, the same family values that that my my father and mother raised me with. I mean, it's I, I constantly find myself. Um, telling my staff on a day-to-day basis that the easiest way to, to judge the quality of the work you're doing or the quality of the product you're putting out is if you'd be happy to serve that to your your father or your mother or your grandmother or whoever it might be if it's a if you're proud enough to give that to a family member I feel like you're you're proud enough of the work you're doing um there's times it, it astounds me there's times where I'm like what would your father say if, if he saw you doing that and they're like Oh, we wouldn't be happy. I'm like, then why would you do it? You know, it's 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 funny to me because um, I feel like in the back of my mind, every decision I make and every action I do is driven by what loved ones of mine would say when they see it. And and I feel like if more people kept that in their in the back of their mind whenever they're making decisions, um, it'd be a much. I feel like a lot of a lot of actions would be much more thought out and much more yeah. diligent. Um, and so I think it's just that element of family and, and nurturing care that has really just developed me um, in my business approach. So this is, a, this is an interesting word, uh, the word failure. Um, and a lot of people look at it different ways and it can really kind of change the trajectory of the life. But what does the word failure mean to you? Is it a, is it a bad word for you? Or is it something that you embrace to look for the deeper reason behind it so that you can learn from it. Uh, it's definitely to me. Uh, it, like you said, it, it's such a. It can be such, such a condemning word. Um, but the problem is, I feel like too often times, people uh, people are condemned by by their failures. And I know personally, as a chef, I mean, I, I didn't get to where I am because I was perfect every single time, and I didn't get to where I am by always making sauce perfect or making sure my hollandaise didn't break or making sure that my eggs were always the perfect egg temp. I mean, it was through failure that I pushed myself and drove myself to find perfection. And have I ever found it? No, but it's something that I seek out, not because I don't want to fail, but because I grow from each failure. And every time I I fail every day, there's times where, where my staff will like holler at me like, you burned the cookies. And I'm like, well, and it, there's times where, you, where it can be very frustrating and you can get down on yourself because it could be it could be time sensitive or it could be uh, amongst multiple other things going on through your head or, or going on in your family and and you're just like well what's one more thing like you know and and, and it's it's one of those things that sometimes you got to step back and say you know like it that's the problem is is I wasn't putting enough attention, I wasn't putting enough care and detail into the task I was doing, and you learn to reevaluate um, 
your time, reevaluate your organization, reevaluate and reevaluate everything that goes into the tasks you're doing and how to restructure your day or restructure your tasks so that you can become more accountable to the product you're putting out. You can be more uh, diligent in your time and, and you can grow closer to that perfection and, um, and learn every day from those failures. Um, as, a, as a chef, as somebody who works in the, who works in the food industry, you're, it's all about the product and it's all about did the customer like that customer service is making sure that even when you know the customer's wrong, that you do it, you talk to them humbly and, and in a nice way. And so in, in the restaurant business, what skills have you found and learned over time that have helped you deal with customer service, whether the customer's like, oh my gosh, this is the best food I've ever eaten in my entire life, or why did you even serve that to me? Um, I think that two, well, one word and one phrase uh, comes to mind, and that would be uh, humility and active listening. Uh, I feel like all too often, um, as a, as a culture, we just like to try and fix a problem before actually hearing out the person that we're trying to assist. Uh, and, and someone's like, well, you know, my steak is, my, my steak, I think my steak is a little overcooked. And you're just like, you just want to grab the plate and walk off and, um, and fix it. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to fix it. And, but I think sometimes we don't, we're not really fixing it in the, right mindset or, or, or fixing mistake in the right uh, with the right approach because we're not really hearing what that person is wanting that that person is not necessarily and I found this to be true uh, multiple times and this is the reason why if I ever go somewhere and a steak is is not cooked to, to how I prefer or my burgers a little too salty I mean with the exception of it's just not palatable I generally don't say anything until after the meal not because I I'm too proud to say anything but because I don't want them to take it away and fix it. I want to let it let them know for the future, for the next person. And I think there's a lot of people that are like that. Um, and all it takes is to have that conversation, a short one minute conversation and say, I'm so sorry, is there anything I can do for you that is not up to our standards? And I feel like the second that you actually show that you, you show genuine care and not just a, well, I'll get one out to you as fast as possible. You, ha you open up the, uh, a room for growth and understanding for the restaurant side, but also you develop that relationship and that, that customer sees that care and, and has a, a deeper desire to come back in the future. Um, and with that, the humility aspect of that is, is taking the time to, to sit there and listen because that conversation won't always go well. Um, there are going to be those times where that customer does want everything fixed right then and there, and, and they're not going to be happy uh, about it. They're going to be a little bit more standoffish and and a little more aggressive. And that's where, in those moments, you have to find that that ability to to humble yourself and sit and listen and know that ultimately that is on um, the business side of it and not on the the customer side. And and it's a very difficult thing to do because so many times we just want to be right. Even when we're wrong, we, we seek out being right. Mm -hmm. um, and to, the ability to sit back and say, you know what? I'm so sorry. It's our fault. 
and apologize is, is not always easy, but it's it, it, it speaks volumes in the end. Yeah. As you were as you were talking about that, I was thinking back to um, a time when me and my wife had come here to Acre actually, and we were eating, and I mean we had a great time. I mean, you know, I think the appetizer came out like it came out really quickly. Everything was like it, from from my perspective, it was perfect. And um, one of the one of the uh, it wasn't the wait staff; it was somebody else. I guess it might have been the the general manager or somebody came out and said, "I'm so sorry that the food took so long." Um, you know, a waiter told told us that hey, something happened in the back. Um, but they even came out and and were like, you know, we're so sorry that's not up to our standards. And I'm like, man, I just had like the best dinner ever, <laughs> you know. And so even when when a customer doesn't see it, and 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 you know. And, and this is from the service side, from the services industry as well. When you know you haven't done your best, going out there and being, you know, intentional and saying, "Hey, look, you know, this, you may have had a great time, but you know, you could have had an even better time. We didn't perform to the levels that we set for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just goes above and beyond uh, any, you know, anything that you're taught about being a, you know, customer service. A lot of people will just say, "Oh, you know, they didn't say anything, so let's just." Let's just, you know, go mm-hmm. about our business where we wouldn't have said anything because we had an incredible time. Mm-hmm. But there could have been another customer that was like, you know what? Our appetizer came out three minutes longer than we thought it should, <laughs> you know? Um, so that I thought I was just thinking back to that. And that was just an incredible, you know, example of customer service that I, uh, that I wanted to share with you because you would you would be happy to know that your staff yeah, is definitely. doing what you're supposed to do. Um, are, there, uh, are there any stories without naming names? That stand out to you that you might can think of where you had a, a particularly bad um not a bad customer but a customer that had a bad experience and you had to deal with it in a in a way that you weren't necessarily planning for you know uh and and on i right now i don't have any specific ones that come to mind but to me the as a general blanket statement, the, the ones that are always the funniest to me are the are the ones where um, people get upset by by things that are supposed to be that way. Uh-huh. My snapper is too flaky. Your snapper should be flaky. Yeah. My swordfish is too firm. Your swordfish should be firm. Yeah. Like you know, it, it's those <laughs> it's those things where and I, and I don't know if it's because. Uh, because people just don't know they're expecting something else mm-hmm. or uh, or if it's just a, a sense of entitlement at times where people are like if I don't say if I don't complain about something then I'm not in control but yeah. I love when people are like my, my sword swordfish is firm I'm like well if your swordfish was soft then that swordfish wouldn't be very good to eat yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's you know it's it's something that uh, you deal with on a day-to-day basis. I, mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, I've always been in this industry. I haven't been in another industry. I've had talks and conversations with other business owners, but it's just funny because it's, I know there's some industries where you're like, oh, you know, I get a complaint once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the, the food industry, regardless of, of the establishment you're in, regardless of the, the, if you're, I mean, if you think about it, McDonald's, how many complaints McDonald's gets every single day and at the time, at the same time, I'm like, okay, if I'm spending three dollars on a meal, what am I really expecting out of it? Am I really going to complain? Yeah. If I order a burger and they hand me a fish sandwich, will I go back and say, hey, sorry, I wanted a burger? Yeah. 
But if I get a fish sandwich and the tartar sauce is only on one side of it, I'm not going to go complain, you know, because I'm yeah. paying three, $3 for it. And it's just funny to me the, to see where people want to focus their efforts and how people want to focus their efforts. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, it's all about a perceived... Uh, but it's about... Exactly. It's about your expectations of what you want. Um, and I feel like sometimes people just have uh, super high expectations and sometimes people have super low expectations. And it's, it's dictated by the mood they're in Mm-hmm. currently um which you is can't prepare for that yeah and it, and it, so it's it's difficult you have to approach every single day w- with a new like with a with a blank slate and just start over from scratch and say who's gonna come at me today yeah and just yeah tony's favorite phrase not today satan not today satan that's <laughs> right i love that i mean that phrase is uh, very important to me what's been the hardest thing in helping get the new restaurant started i mean Drove by there on Sunday and it was just the pit and a little bit of the outside wall. Drove by there yesterday, and the whole entire outside is framed. Um, so it's a it's it go, it looks like it goes fast, but it's not it's necessarily that fast, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, there's there's so many people at play. Um, not only do you have David and I in with Bow and Arrow, we also have a couple other investors. Some of the investors with Acre are also investing. Um, so you have a handful of people there. Then you have uh, Michael Delworth's awesome team who they're, they're building uh, the, the restaurant and they're developing it. And I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many people I've met in his company that are working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that have, and even people I haven't met that are, all have, have touched it at some point in time. Papers have gone across their desk at some point in time. And then subcontractors city officials i mean it's it, it's not a matter of oh we're we're we got to go meet with the developers you know it's it's they've got to meet with somebody and then they've got to meet with somebody and everything's got to has a trickle down effect of who has to be approved by who is table has to cross and even something as small as one little change in plumbing then has to go through and has to be redrawn by the contractors we have to have new sets of, of drawings printed off. And I mean, it's just, it, I think that's the, the been the most difficult and most eye-opening experience for me is just how many people are involved with building one building and not even getting the, the restaurant going, just getting the building built. Yeah, I think, you know, just from just from talking to you back and forth, you know, in small group and, and just in, in life in general, like, like seeing that process, it, just how how many people are involved you know i thought hey you buy a piece of property you put a building up there you start working and you know you don't realize that you're probably actually going to be dealing with a couple hundred people before it's all said and done yeah i mean it's 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 definitely a much larger um project when when you look at the scope of of who all it touches um it's not I mean, I, and I knew that it was more than just buying a piece of property and putting a building up. But like you said, it's just you don't really think about everything that goes into it yeah. until you're in it. You yeah. know, so. Well, um, if you were to give somebody some advice for someone just coming out of school, maybe even out of high school, um, somebody that, who loved to cook, watched all these TV shows on, you know, on Food Network and um, – and see all these successful chefs around town and, and, and everything. 
what's what's one piece of advice you would want to give to somebody who has decided, hey, I want to make this a career? Um, so <clears throat> I think the, the, the one thing I would like to say is, is to seek out a stage in a restaurant. Uh, and that's something that you don't see very much of anymore. And, and basically that's a, that's a short temporary unpaid uh, internship, mm -hmm. which used to be very prevalent in, in the industry. And it used to be pretty much the only way you would actually get started in a kitchen. Mm -hmm. Before they would even offer you a job, you would interview and then come in for a stage. And, and it was basically a working interview. It showed your work ethic, it showed your skill set, because it's, pretty, it's easy to lie on paper and in, in an interview about your skill set. Yeah. Um, and then I can hand you a carrot and say, Brunewaldo's carrot, and you're just like, do what? <laughs> and uh, so I mean, it's it's something that, that I grew up doing stages. I've I've grown up uh, bringing people in for stages, and you don't see that as much anymore. Um, you know, it's because it, it, the the word that, that that you and I talk about all the time is, or not, the the phrase we talk about all the time is instant gratification. Mm -hmm. People expect an interview and start a job and get going. And trust me, I've been in that spot. I've been in that where I need money. I can't waste three or four days. Yeah. Um, but it, it develops a, a, a better fit and it actually allows you, it's not just for your, for the, 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 the management and for the restaurant itself, but it's for you. Um, mm. I know a lot of people who get in the industry thinking that it's going to be glitz and glamour mm -hmm. and don't think about all the pots and pans that have to be scrubbed every night yeah. and pulling away ovens away from the wall and scrubbing grease off the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely not the same as cooking for friends and family yeah. uh, at home. It's, it's, it's long hours. Uh, it's, it's time away from family. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and, it, and the industry as a whole is trying to, you know, have a, do a reapproach to, uh, to being a chef and trying to improve quality of life. And those things are coming, but at the same mm -hmm. time, there, it, there has to be a sacrifice because when you want to go out to eat with your family on Friday night, somebody has to be there cooking that food and that person can't be with their family on Friday yeah. night. Um, and I think that's one thing that people just don't really fully evaluate before going into the industry. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just recommend, uh, even prior to culinary school, prior to like, just see if you can spend a week in the kitchen. And there, I'm sure not every kitchen is going to open their arms yeah. and say, come on in. But there's a lot of people, I, I'm, I would love talking to, to Jeff Compton, my new CDC here at the restaurant, I'm sure he would love to have somebody just kind of come in and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can I see what it's really like? Yeah. Because um, it, it's it's not Food Network. Yeah. It's not it's not Top Chef from Bravo. It's, it's long hours. It takes a while to get there. It's mm -hmm. not instant fame and, and fortune. Yeah. Rarely is it fame and fortune. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is it rewarding? Yes. Do I say that to, to scare people a little bit? Yes, because I don't want you coming in the industry saying, well, he said it was great. He said it was fun because there is a lot of fun, but it's like everything. It's you got to put the effort in. You got to put the work in. You got to put the time yeah. in and it comes. It, the, the, the time will come for, for, the, for the fun events and the, and the festival, food festivals, but that doesn't come without the hard work first. Yeah. Well, so we talked about Bravo, a little bit there, and we talked about Food Network. I want to briefly touch on a pretty big deal, a couple of pretty big deals for mm -hmm. you and for and for the business here. Um, Iron Chef Showdown and Spring Bacon Championships. 
people, uh, I recommend people go watch those. We're gonna, I'm gonna put links in the show notes to those so you can kind of go see what what those are all about. For me, I just wanted to wanted to ask you, how did how did that come about, and what was the most surprising thing you learned from the experience? <clears throat> well, it, it's kind of funny how that came about um, in that. I was one of those people who I just spoke poorly of, not poorly of, but I just spoke about, um, you know, I, I came into this industry wanting um, to be known and to be somebody. Uh, you know, I came into this industry thinking that if if people don't know who my, who I am, they don't know my name, then I'm not doing it, doing it well, mm-hmm. um, which isn't, which is funny because of the amount of restaurants. I mean, if you think about the amount of restaurants in your city, and think about all the cities and towns in the U.S., yeah. then think about the entire world, the amount of chefs there are is just mind-numbing, yeah. um, which is why it's, it's kind of a silly approach to start in, a, in an industry and start out in the industry saying, I want to be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the, the, the second I stopped caring about that, the second I, I mean, it, and it wasn't instant, it wasn't at the beginning of my career, it was, it was only a matter of two, three years ago, then I was like, I'm chasing something that doesn't really matter. And I started working for my passion and working for myself and working for my family and, and really just trying to show off who I was instead of working for somebody else mm-hmm. uh, and trying to please anybody else. Um, that's what gets you noticed. And and that's what how David's approach has been to, to cooking and, and his approach to his career. And um, that's what, it was, it was kind of funny that I spoke earlier about how I was looking for my next step in the career. We were looking at, I was actually looking at moving to Houston. My notice had been turned in. I had technically quit working at Acre. And he walked up and said, you want one last hurrah? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you want to go do Iron Chef with me? And I thought it was kind of, at first I was like laughing around, thinking he was joking. He was like, I'm serious. Like, you want to do Iron Chef? He's like, I got a call. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So, I mean, and that's where... Also, I'm just like, you know, I was like, it's, it's cool to see when, you, when you're just cooking for yourself and you're cooking because it makes you happy and the food you're, you're making is what you want to show off and, and the people around you support you, that's what gets you the notification or the not- gets you the notice. Um, and in, in Auburn, Alabama, of all places, we started getting that following. The community is what, is what helped grow David and helped grow Acre. Mm-hmm. That community then grew us to the region to where we're starting to be invited to festivals and, and instead of seeking out uh, Fame and Glory, Fame and Glory kind of sought out Acre. And so they called uh, David, they did a few interviews, um, and that was where kind of David picked up with me and was like, let's do one last hurrah. And we, we flew out and, and it, was, it was awesome. Everybody was like, hey, are, you, are you nervous? Were you nervous before going? And, and the honest answer was no, because we knew that we weren't out there by chance. We were out there because we had worked hard, we had proved ourselves, we had done everything we needed to do up to that point. Yeah. Because we were, we were going out there to do the food that we knew how to do. Mm-hmm. We weren't going out there to do the food of somebody else thinking that that was what's gonna win. We went out there saying, if we lose, at least we lose doing our food. Yeah. And that's why we went out there and, and we brought a touch of Alabama. We brought our, our Alabama tamales that we do at the restaurant. We, do, we did a bone-in pork chop on national television for Iron Chef. Yeah. Um, just the country fried pork chop. And it's just funny because those are the foods that, that once we just settled in and said, this is who we are, mm-hmm. that's kind of what got us to, to, to that, that platform. It's always been, it's, it's about being true to yourself. Yeah. No matter what, no matter, you know, if you're just going to grind and 
nothing's going to come of it from other than you being happy about what you're doing, um, which is the ultimate, you know, the ultimate reward of being having a passion, being able to do it for a living. Um, that's awesome. Well, um, I've got one last question for you. Yep. At the end of your life, when it's time to go meet your father in heaven, and you look down on your family, and your friends, and your community here on earth, what do you want them to remember you by? What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, that's a deep question. <laughs> you know, um, I, I remember, I guess it's all kind of like, is, is these last few questions, the last few things we discussed are, are all kind of resonating with me right now. Um, just seeing where I started my career, where I ended. Because I, I remember at one point in my career, I specifically saying the words, I just want people to know, to remember who I am when I die. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, I don't want people to be like, oh, Caleb Fisher died today. And people are like, who? Who was that? And then, but the problem was I wanted that from a, from a career standpoint, you know, uh-huh. like, like when, when these, these famous chefs that I see, uh, pass away in, in their prime or, or in old age. And I'm like, oh man, that, that's, that's harsh. Like it, it, that's, that's a dose of reality. Uh, and that's always what I wanted. And, but now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's shifted. Now I truly just want people to say, you know, I, like, I remember Caleb for not for being a chef, not for being on spring baking championship, mm-hmm. but for the last we shared, for the joy he brought me, for the 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 cake he made me for my birthday, not because he made me a cake, but because it was something that we shared in and we shared delight in and joy in. And I, I, I hope that people remember the smiles I brought to the face and, and the, the company I brought to the table. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Caleb, man, I know, uh, um, I have just been blessed to get to know you over these last six, eight months, um, going through, um, going through freedom with you at church and just getting to, uh, just, and then co-leading as well. Uh, just, a um, just an incredible time just to get to know you on a personal level. And, um, and hopefully, our listeners are, are hearing just how awesome of a person you are. You've got this, you've got this great platform and you're using it well and you're stewarding it well. And, um, and I just appreciate your time this morning and thanks for, thanks for an incredible breakfast and, and for having me over here. No, thank you for having me part of this. I was, I was excited when you asked me to, to, to do this with you and sit down with you. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh, we could have this time.